everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Kickstarter spotlight, and we have the second campaign for uh, a property coming back with the second issue. Uh, and the writer of that series is joining us today, David Peppos. David, thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to catch up and uh, yeah, talk about the return of the OZ uh, live now on Kickstarter. Yeah, and you you funded so quickly, and I, I want to talk about all that because uh, it's just it's it's fantastic. I'm so so happy for you. I'm always happy when good things happen to good good creators who are good people. So that's always a a plus. But uh, listeners, if if his name sounds familiar, uh, obviously we had him on for the first uh, issue of the OZ. But you may also remember that we also reviewed every single uh, issue of Scout's Honor from Aftershock, one of our favorite publishers. So we'll touch on that a little bit uh, at the end as well, because that was a fantastic series. And Thank you so much. Uh, the thing that kept just we kept coming back to, David, when we were talking about that series was you guys paced it within an inch of its life. Oh, my God. So much story <laughs> packed into every issue and then into the five issues overall. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer in what Heidi McDonald would call the satisfying chunk. Um, you know, if you're going to serialize these issues, issue, you want to make sure that everybody's getting their money's worth. And um, yeah, you know, I, 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 uh, I really respond more to comics that um, have a lot going on in them. Um, decompression, it has its place, but you run that risk of then kind of tripping over that line of, is this thing worth the single issues? Yeah. I, I yeah. want readers to stick with us month in and month out, and I want to incentivize them not to just wait for the trade. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I try really hard to make sure that we have a, some good economy uh, with our storytelling. And uh, thankfully, I've, I've worked with some really talented uh, artists who are uh, able to keep up with the pace. Yeah, that's the other part. You know, you're really asking uh, a lot from from your artists. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, uh, like I said, at Scouts Honor at the end. But let's dive into the uh, the OZ or, or the Oz. Uh, it's been described as Hurt Locker in, in you know, the Wizard of Oz land. Um so any of our listeners who aren't familiar, flesh it out a little more than that. You know, what do you mean by Hurt Locker in, in the land of Oz? Yeah. Uh, so the OZ follows Dorothy Gale's granddaughter, who's a disillusioned Iraq war veteran who finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of Oz. Uh, as she discovers her grandmother killing two wicked witches and convincing the Wizard of Oz to leave, and then clicking her heels together three times, left Oz in a power vacuum not unlike Baghdad, and plunged the country into decades of brutal civil war. And so now our new Dorothy is going to have to navigate her grandmother's former friends, the Tin Soldier, the Scarecrow, and the Prince of Lions, if she hopes to bring peace to the occupied zone, or as the locals call it, the OZ. So if you like, uh, if you like Mad Max, if you like uh, the Old Guard, if you like Fables or DMZ, or if you like games like Fallout, Final Fantasy VII, or Chrono Trigger, you're going to love this book. Uh, we're drawn from a lot of different inspirations uh, for this series, and uh, I. I think it's some of my best work yet. And uh, certainly with the creative team that I'm working with, artist Ruben Rojas, uh, colorist Whitney Kogar, letter DC Hopkins, and our murderer's row of cover talent, Mon House, Harid Karimi, and uh, Sam Iroz. Um, it is one of the most beautiful books I've ever had the privilege to work on. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of my team. And I'm so grateful and excited to see that the Kickstarter community is really recognizing their talent. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the first one funded relatively quickly. This one funded even even quicker. Yeah. Uh, and I think it really speaks to the quality of the of the story um, in issue one. Uh, and, and before we talk a little bit about what's gone on so far, and we won't get too spoilery in case somebody missed out on, on the first issue. Um, but you do have tears in this campaign in case somebody missed the first one. They, yes. they can get caught up, right? The print and digital catch-up tiers uh, for both our first and second issues, which are both double-sized. So that'll get you 88 pages of story. Um, and on top of that, if you're a collector, we have a tier for all four covers for the OZ number two. Or if you missed the last campaign and you're a diehard, uh, you can get all nine covers that we've released so far for the price of uh, seven and a half, I believe it is. Um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to meet our readership where they're at in terms of, you know, are they new? Are they returning? What's their budget look like? What's their accessibility look like? Um, and so, yeah, we wanted to make sure catching up was like a big priority for us. In addition to having things like some of my other trades available or uh, some of our really exclusive tiers, like getting drawn to the book, getting commissions from Ruben, Skyping with me, or our special, special limited edition Spencer and Locke plushies and a complete set of Ranger Scout merit badges. Yeah, I saw that merit badge when I was like, man, because those were so hard to get. You can get all 14. You have to get them all in one place. You don't have to go hunting them down. Yeah, yeah. well, especially because I, as far as I know, I believe only seven of them are in the wild right now. 
Oh, wow. Um, maybe eight. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of them that I think they're waiting for conventions to come back. Um, so this is the only place. This Kickstarter is the only place you can get all 14. It's straight out of my personal collection. Um, so uh, yeah, if you want to be the ultimate Ranger Scout and the ultimate Yellow Brick Road Warrior, this is the campaign to back. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, last time we had you on to talk about the OZ, yeah. you know, we, we really talked about in terms of Dorothy, her, her struggle, uh, you know, pulling from, from the headlines, pulling from real world, her struggle coming back uh, as an Iraqi war veteran and, and having trouble fitting in. Sure. Um, and we talked about her, how she was kind of walking around through life as a zombie and, and Ruben Rojas, especially that page I kept coming back to where she's sitting on her bed, just that look on her face of just, she's out of it. She's despondent. She's, she's like I said, just walking through life as a zombie. Uh, and it's so interesting because we, we talked a little bit about, you know, what PTSD is like and what it does to, to war veterans. Yeah. The thing was her coming alive, being thrown back into the land of Oz. It's such a juxtaposition of, of feelings for me because I was like, well, she's back in her element. She's alive. She has that spark. But this is not a good, this is not a good thing. You know, I was happy for her in a way, but I'm like, why should I be, I shouldn't be happy for her. She's at war. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, just in terms of human nature and what, <laughs> what this does to, to people. Well, and that's something we're going to be uh, uh, touching upon in issue two, actually, is that, you know, the, the first issue was very much about Dorothy's call to action. You know, um, she, the reason she joined the military was to serve, to, to, to stand up for the little guy. And um, at the same time, you know, she's seen, horrific senseless bloodshed on both sides um and so you know she's kind of thinking what was it all for you know was this completely futile and what do i where do i go from here and so yeah our first issue was her sort of reluctantly deciding to get back into the thick of things um and now we see an issue too what are the costs of that um you know and 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 it's not going to be uh, uh an easy road uh for for dorothy now that she's leading the resistance she is finding a big difference between um, her time in Iraq versus her time in Oz. You know, when she was in Iraq, she was one set of boots on the ground. And so there was a degree of anonymity there. She wasn't calling any of the big picture shots. And I think that's the push and pull in the OZ. Is that by virtue of who Dorothy's grandmother was, she's the closest thing to royalty uh, out there. Everyone's looking to Dorothy for answers. She's, she's both a figurehead and a symbol of a larger movement. And she's realizing that the skill set between being a soldier and being the symbol and being this leader and carrying that responsibility, they're very different skill sets um, and, and only with certain degrees of overlap. And um, she's going to find that, you know, especially now that uh, uh, the Scarecrow has found the location of the all-powerful Silver Slippers, she's not just defending one world, she's defending two uh, because he wants to use them to invade our home. And so um, she's going to find herself outmanned and outgunned. And that means not only is Dorothy going to have to sustain some pretty heavy losses, but she's going to have to turn to some unexpected corners for help. And that's kind of the fun, I think, of this second issue is that we do get to explore uh, the, the, the occupied zone more. And we do get to introduce new characters and to see how are the different ways that this war is weighing on them. Um, I think that's one of my favorite parts of this whole series is that we're able to extrapolate different results of war on these different characters. You know, I mean, we have the tin soldier who, you know, he's been destroyed and rebuilt so many times. And as we see in our preview page, oftentimes he's been the last man standing. Like, what does that do to somebody? You know, and, and in this case, he says he, he kind of had to turn his heart off. And, you know, that's, that's, that's very tragic for a character, especially with what we know his previous arc has been. Um, the Scarecrow, meanwhile, and we'll, we'll see a little bit of this in issue two, and we'll really dive in more in our third and final campaign next year, is, um, you know, he's the, the big idea guy, and he was the one left in charge. And then you, he found out the hard way that not, not a, you know, a big idea doesn't always save everything. Um, and so that really kind of corrupts him in a, in a really profound way. I mean, he, it's, it, it is pure defeat, and it's pure ego, and it's pure sort of this curdled sense of responsibility because he's failed so many times in so many ways. Um, down to the Prince of Lions, who is uh, artist Ruben Rojas' favorite character in the book. Uh, he, he, he is really gonna steal the show for issue two in a big way. Um, but you know, for him, it's one thing to be brave when you're fighting for yourself. But how does that calculus of courage change when you're the leader of the animal kingdom? When you're fighting for millions of people underneath you and you have to make these tough calls, he and Dorothy are going to have a lot in common 
in that regard. And I think that's going to give them, I think, a, a real uh, a real bond and a real sense of mutual respect. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things we're, we're definitely threading the needle, you know, in, in, a, in a big way with this series. I mean, because on the one hand, we want to show exactly, you know, we want to touch upon um, what's going through soldiers' heads, you know, especially when they've come back and are having these conflicted feelings of, you know, what was this all for? And, and sort of grappling with the losses they've seen and the bloodshed that they've seen and how do they reintegrate back into a society that is a very different tempo and a very different feel than being on a battlefield. On the other hand, we also have, you know, sort of the, 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 the pulpier sense of a, of a war adventure, you know, almost like a Star Wars, you know, where there is that big fight between good and evil. And Dorothy's kind of have, having to navigate all that. You know, what happens to somebody when they keep fighting wars how do you make that shift into how do we just end them? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not an answer that, I mean, obviously if I had the answer to that, I, I would be, you know, working in geopolitical diplomacy and not uh, in comics. But um, I think trying to sort of keep the character first and foremost in this adventure and then just sort of showing that like, you know, it's not an easy, this is not an easy war. And that there's going to be a lot of, of, of costs and consequences and setbacks and pain uh, if Dorothy really wants to take this to the finish line. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, it's something that is so, so interesting because it does affect all of us and, and our loved ones who have served. And yeah. uh, it's not a switch, you know, that you can turn it off, you know, on and off. We, we train them to kind of, you know, do, do the job, right? Follow, follow your orders to complete the mission despite any kind of emotional yeah stuff and and you know you talk about the greatest generation for world war ii and that that was kind of ignored so i'm, I'm glad that it, we acknowledge it now and we know there are there are consequences yeah but there are no easy answers either on on how to to reintegrate how, how to turn it off how to come back and kind of yeah. leave all that behind and so i'm real curious at the end when you wrap up yeah. you know because i'm sure you'll touch on that um, as yeah. well yeah um you know we, we've got we've got a lot of, of sort of twists and turns uh to, to this book I feel like if you thought Scout's Honor was a twisty book, um, I think uh, the OZ, I, I think those are some of my favorite twists that I've uh, included uh, in a series up to date. And um, yeah, you know, there's, there's just, there's a lot of secrets and a lot of history. And I think that's part of, I think that's the thing about war that a lot of people don't talk about is, you know, when it's right in front of us, we paint it as very black and white, you know, it's there, they're the bad guys, you know, um, you know, we, we have to fight for, for liberty or for the freedom of other people. And that's, you know, it's very binary uh, and very simplistic, but, you know, war and history, you know, they, they're side by side, you know, there's cause and effect here. And um, that's something that I, I'm really excited to dig into more in the second issue um, and, and in issue three as well as sort of being like, well, how did we get here exactly? Um, and what happened to some of these characters along the way? And, you know, how did their actions kind of help, you know, push this snowball down the hill, so to speak. Um, and, and so, you know, nobody's hands are particularly clean in this. Um, you know, I mean, we do have our, our heroes and villains, but it, it, everybody has a little bit of, uh, to blame here. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think having an outsider like Dorothy, that's sort of, I, 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 that's sort of, having her as an outside catalyst is really the, the thing that energizes the whole story for me is not only do we get to really, we have to explore the history just so people can get up to speed. But, you know, when you're locked doing the same thing over and over again, I mean, what is it they say about insanity being, you know, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different response? If you want a different response, you have to bring in an X factor. And I think having Dorothy is that as our lead characters, our POV, um, it, 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 it's really fun because I've been able to build this world in this alternate history for us. And now I'm able to sort of also take a wrecking ball to it and see where the pieces might land. Yeah. And she's such an interesting character too, that we can, can relate to, you know, maybe not all of us have, have been uh, to war or suffered, you know, huge trauma. Um, but we all have our own stuff that we carry around, you know, yeah, there's, there's absolutely. all times where we're feeling down. That's how I, I, I tend to gravitate towards trauma. As, as, as a big theme in a lot of my works. You might see it in, in Spencer and Locke. You see it in the OZ. Even in uh, my action rom-com, Going to the Chapel, you know, Emily's reluctance to walk down the aisle was rooted in, you know, a, a, a big romantic drama for her. And um, yeah, I feel like for me, uh, you know, it's about 
optimism at the end of the day. You know, I mean, if you have characters like Dorothy, you have characters like Detective Locke, you have characters like Emily, who they've been through traumatic experiences. And as a result, they often often have a, a distorted uh, self-image. You know, they believe horrible things about themselves and that, you know, sort of it, they, they self-flagellate, you know, and they limit themselves in their own lives because of that. And I think oftentimes that arc is how do you let that misconception about yourself go? Um, how do you sort of claw back a little bit of self-esteem, a little bit of dignity, a little bit of pride in yourself and who you are and what you've survived and what you've become? You know, I think the big question in a lot of my stories is uh, everybody has scars. Everybody has trauma, uh, big or small. And the question is, are we defined by them or can we transcend them or can we at least learn to live with them? And so that's why I think, you know, oftentimes I think a big misconception in my work is like, oh, is it this like gritty reboot edgelord fantasy stuff? And uh, I think that couldn't be further than the truth because we start in a dark place, but it's always about the redemptive climb out. Um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's a bright silver lining. And I think that contrast people really resonate with, because if Dorothy can survive, if Dorothy can get out of bed and put one foot in front of the other, maybe we can too. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good point. It's probably why she's one of my favorite characters you've ever created, um, because she's just inspiring in a way, you know, to, to know that what she, what she brought when she got to the OZ, you know, where she was. Uh, and, and again, we won't spoil for somebody that that hasn't read it, but she's in a very, very dark place um, yeah. and then gets pulled in, realizes that, you know, the choice she was going to make maybe wasn't really what she she wanted deep down. Yeah. And then, you know, even when she's in the OZ, she's just focused on getting home and then something happens and and she flips around and does start that yeah. climb that, that you mentioned. And uh, you also mentioned something earlier uh, about feeling like this is the best work you've ever done. For me, I, I agree, and I think it's because, like we were talking about with Scout's Honor, this, again, there's a lot of story packed in here, and obviously we're getting the, the double-sided, but even sure. or, or double-sized, but even so, there's so much going on, but you still have time to put in those character moments. That's got to be a challenge when uh, there's so much to explore in terms of history, and you want to yeah. show off different parts of the OZ, but you still got to put in those character moments that, that draw us in. Talk a little bit about... How, how challenging that is. You go through a lot of different drafts. Was it just getting a, a real good outline to start? Um, how, yeah. how do you uh, tackle that? So it's funny that you mentioned that because for me, the, the rhythm and the pacing is, is the most fun part for me. Um, the hardest part is you, you touched upon it. It's the outline. It's, it's really where it's sort of, what is the story from point A to point B to point C all the way to point Z, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that is tough. I write that almost as a prose document, you know, where it's just, I, I don't think about how am I going to paste this on a page? I don't think about any clever structural tricks. I'm just like, what is the bare bones? Just, you know, get this done, you know? And that takes, that's the longest part of the process for me. I'm, I'm not a fast outliner. Um, that's part of the reason why I'm still working on Spencer and Lock 3. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's a lot because you have to really, that's where you birth the story to me. You know, um, you, you figure out, you know, who's doing what. And, and, and thankfully, you know, you can make that as bare bones as you need to. Um, you you want to figure out your character moments. You want to figure out like any big sequences. But, you know, you dig into that as, as much or as little as you want. And then the pacing. That's the really fun part. I, I tend to break it down um, similar to the way like an artist does like their thumbnails, you know, or their blue lines. That's how I tend to approach my writing. I break it down page to page to page. Literally, I'm like, I know I have, in case of the OZ, I have 22 pages per chapter. Or in the case of Scouts Honor over, over an after check, I know I have 20 pages per chapter. And just, I write page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, all the way down. And I'm like, okay, page one, what happens here? Page two, what happens here? Page three, what happens here? And it, it's, it's not always like a one for one thing. Like sometimes as I'm breaking it down into panels and breaking it down into dialogue, I'm like, oh, I need another page. And so I go back to that beat sheet and like, what can I cut or what can I combine or what can I rearrange? So a page is doing double duty. Um, or sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, Oh, is this thing just not worth it? You know, is this, is there a character beat here that just like, I have to cut as much as it sucks. And um, yeah, I feel like doing the outline is where you get all like all your musical notes together, you know, and then, when you start pacing it, that's when you're, it's like, you're putting the music down. It's like, you're figuring out, all right, 
I'm strumming on the guitar. Where am I going to throw a chord in here? Like how fast? What's the tempo here? Um, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I have a lot of fun with with that particular bit because I I usually do people. Some creators do it differently, and they always call me crazy for doing it like this. I break it down page to page, and then I break it down panel to panel, and then dialogue is like the last thing you do um, because I'm I I feel like I used to do dialogue first when I when I was uh, learning how to write and I, I overwrote every single mm -hmm. page. Yep. And um, I know there are some creators, I think Ron Mars was, was making fun of me. He was like, that's crazy. How do you do it that way? And I was like, oh, I was like, how do you do it the other way? Um, it, it, it's, but yeah, for me, it's, it's just like, how do I give readers some bang for their buck? And also how do I make sure that like people are like, oh man, he did a lot in that issue. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm working on a big project right now. And um, my editor, who I, I hadn't worked with before, uh, was telling me, wow, you sure do fit a lot in these scripts. And uh, I, I took it as like a career affirming compliment um, because, yeah, I, I, you know, I want people to read my books and be like, wow, like, OK, that was that was hefty. OK, that, that felt like it was worth the money um, because, yeah, I, I just want people to like me. <laughs> I want people to stay enthusiastic about my work and I want that reputation to carry from book to book. And I think giving the people their money's worth um, is the best way to do that. Well, I, th I think the other thing that it does, and I think it speaks to the success of, of the OZ issue too, you know, how quickly, the more story we get as readers, the more invested we, we get, right? The more we're pulled in um, because sometimes, you, and I, this is why I always tell my listeners, you got to give something at least two issues because first issues are so tough to write Sure. Um, because you're introducing the whole, the whole world and everything. Oh, even if you think it, the first issue wasn't very good, if you're int we're interested enough to pick up the first issue, pick up the second one. And then if it still doesn't grab you, then, you know, if you want to jump off, I get it. Right. Um, but if you can give us more story, if you can give us more character moments, it, it, it's only, you know, to the creator's benefit because then we get, we get pulled in that much more. But well, I, I know pacing is one of the hardest things when you're starting out to get right. Mm -hmm. Um, and to hear you say that it's your favorite, that really surprised me. I've never had a, yeah. a creator say the pacing is, is my favorite. So yeah. uh, I think outlining, outlining, that's the part that I dread um, because that, that will take anywhere from one to three to four months sometimes. I mean, it depends on the kind of plot. I mean, going to the chapel, that took months to get the outline out uh, because there's just, you got so many, especially in a heist book, you have so many different moving parts and you have to figure out where everybody is in any given moment. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, pacing it out, that's like kind of Zen for me. Like I can usually hammer out a beat sheet. If I've got an outline done, I can hammer out a beat sheet in 20 minutes. I mean, that, that moves pretty fast. And then usually as far as paneling, you know, a day or two, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the dialogue takes a little bit longer. And I think dialoguing especially is where you kind of figure out where some of the big themes of your work are in. Um, because I think that's the thing. There's some people who say, look, like you have to have, you have to know your theme up front, and then you have to cater your story, your structure, your story around that. And that is a way of doing it. It's not the way that I do it. The way I do it is I'm looking for where's the emotional beats here. What's mm -hmm. going to either surprise a reader or make them feel like sympathetic towards the character. And, um, you know, I try to structure my, my story along those notes. It's just more of a feeling for the reader. And then as I start to dig into the character's voice uh, when I'm dialoguing or when I'm doing narrative captions, that's when like the greater themes of the book start to really pop out at me um, because it's, it's really, it's the character's reactions to all these things going on around them that, that really informs the theme to me. Um, and, and sometimes you, you do find moments where you're like, oh, hey, you know what? We're missing, an, we're missing a beat here. We're missing something that 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 will make people's jaws drop, or make people in the in the case of the OZ, you know, realize like, oh, this is like this is a war, and there are, there are casualties in that. Uh, I know we have a big moment in um, in this in this issue that um, came out kind of late in the game. Like I had written the script, I had sent it to Ruben, and I think I was even through chapter four, maybe even chapter five, and I was like, something's missing in that third chapter here. And so we, you know, I rewrote a page and just to be like, no, like we have to show like there are big moments here. And then it's not just high flying Star Wars adventure where everybody makes it out alive. 
Um, you know, there are people who really do get caught in the crossfire in these things and it's a tragedy and it's, and it's, and it's a, a, a guilt and responsibility that's almost unfathomable and Dorothy's got to carry it. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, yeah, it, but yeah, once the outline's done, the outline's the absolute hardest part. The story just doesn't exist without that. And then, um, once that's done, I'm like, okay, I've had my vegetables. Now I get to play with dessert. <laughs> Do you, do you ever go back when you're dialoguing? So do you do dialogue before you get the uh, art or do you put yes. it in after? Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I usually, I try to send everybody, uh, my whole team, uh, as, as comprehensive as a script as I can, just to be like, I want to give my artist room to, to know like how, many, how much dialogue are we going to throw in here? Um, I do tweak things once the art and the preliminary oh, yeah. lettering. That was going to be my next question, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it depends. I mean, certain books, there, there, there are certain ways that I tackle it. Like for the OZ, for example, um, Dave Hopkins, DC Hopkins, uh, what a mensch. I love that guy. Um, he's, 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 he's one of the most gracious people in the comics industry that I've ever met. And um, honestly, the big thing that he and I go back on is that, you know, he will do a, a first pass on lettering. And I usually have a pretty hard and fast metric of like, you know, no more than 22 words per balloon. Uh, unless I'm trying to do an actual highfalutin speech, 22 words is about the, the average before it starts to look oppressive. However, what I always forget is that that's 22 normal sized words. What happens if you have longer words? You have to, you have to trim. And so that's usually my biggest thing with Dave is I'm, I'm like, oh crap, I overwrote that line. It's like taking up way too much real estate. And so usually it's me just kind of lopping parts of the line off until it, it fits nicely on, on, the, on the page. Every great once in a while, there'll be either a line that doesn't work you know, then I'm like, oh, I see this in context and this sucks. I got I to gotta, I gotta take another pass at this. Or uh, even more once in a while, in the case of the OZ, you know, Ruben will draw something on the page that I hadn't expected or I hadn't anticipated. And so it's kind of like, oh, okay, let me let me pivot this line a little bit to, to address this. I remember specifically um, in Spencer and Lock Volume 2, we had a bit, um, uh, the, the last fight between uh, Spencer and Lock and Roach Riley. Um, I think I had written something about like, Roach like punching Locke in the ribs or something, and then Jorge drew a really cool like Roach giving him like a roundhouse kick to the gut, and I was like, "That's really cool. That looks beautiful. I'm going to change the dialogue because he's not getting punched in the ribs anymore, and he's not so he's not going to talk about getting punched in the ribs." Um, Scout's Honor was an in, was a different animal. I, I you know that that was an interesting and and fun book and a very educational one at that um, because. First off, I was working with editors for the first time. I was not the editor at this time. And so it, it is a different experience not having every single thing going through me. But also um, the, the time frame behind that book was so much more accelerated than anything I've worked on before. Um, you know, Luca Castellanguida, the artist in the book, was churning out an issue every six to seven weeks. And so you learn very quickly, like, what battles are worth fighting here? You know, and what, what can you pivot on? Or, you know, what can you, you know, if there's something that you want changed, you know, can you fix it in coloring? Can you address it differently in lettering? And so, uh, you know, that was very much a measure twice, cut once kind of scenario. Um, I actually, as I was getting artwork in, I would actually take an afternoon on Photoshop and I would just, I would do my own crude lettering on the art just to be like, does this line feel too long to me? Um, because I knew that Carlos Manguel, our letter, you know, he's working on a lot of books and he would not have time to take a whole lot of extra passes on this. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, they say that there's the, uh, the movie you write, the movie you shoot and the movie you edit, you know? I think in comics, it's the comic you write, the comic that's drawn and the comic that's lettered. Your letter really is the guardrail um, to making sure that like the story makes sense. Uh, and I think, I was talking about this in an interview the other day. I think lettering is like the first thing that a reader is subconsciously trained to look at to see if the book even passes the sniff test, you know, is this like a legit professional book? You'll know it as soon as you see the lettering. Whereas like, I think um, art, you know, there's a much wider spectrum of what's considered acceptable and what's considered, you know, uh, more avant-garde um, and obviously writing, uh, you know, as a writer, we're very fortunate. We're covered by your, the art team, you know? So it's like, as long as, you know, if the book looks great, you could write terribly, and people would probably still give you a pass, but lettering—that's the first thing. Um, so, yeah, and it's yeah. it's the one that it's sort of unsung because because you're right. Um, I, I always compare them to kind of like baseball umpires. 
And, yeah. you know, if you watch a baseball game, the umpire's not mentioned at all. It's because he did a good job. He got all the, the ball. He called the balls and the strikes correctly, and they made all the calls correctly on the base pass or what have you. Well, um, but when it's done wrong and you notice it, oh, that's then you where notice it starts it. to fall apart, right? Yeah. Like it, and, and in certain ways, in certain ways, they're also sort of the shortstops uh, because, yeah, it's like they're, they're having to sort of navigate everything the artist is doing, anything that you're trying to do as the writer. Uh, you know, they're trying to incorporate the colorist palette into the mix. And then, and then you know, sometimes, uh, you know, some jerkbag writer says, oh, hey, I, uh, I need to rewrite this line or, hey, this, this, this balloon is too big. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I give uh, uh, Dave Hopkins all the, uh, all the love in the world. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to work with him until the wheels come off. Um, and and uh, uh, Carlos Manguel as well. Um, you know, it, he, he, uh, he was really hitting some tight deadlines for Scouts Honor. And I think he and I together were really, you know, we were rolling with it, you know. I, 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 and it's, it's just one of those things that it's like, especially when you're dealing with an accelerated time frame like we were with Scouts Honor, you have to really pick and choose your battles because you don't want to knock Luca off of his deadlines. You know, he's dealing with it harder than anybody. Yeah. And so um, I know, for example, uh, our giant spider monster, uh, that was a, that was a, probably the biggest change from script to art is, um, you know, Luca, uh, English is not his first language. He actually does not speak English. Uh, we translated all of our scripts through his agent. And so um, that monster came out very differently than I had written it and that I, that I described it. But I was like, you know what? That's cool. Like, like the way that Luca did it, it was very interesting. And so like, it was creepy I, as hell is what it was. Creepy as hell. And so like I pivoted and I kind of did some, some, some rewrites on the fly to make sure that like our story could accommodate that. Um, and, and I think that's made me a more nimble uh, and more collaborative uh, partner in comics. And I, I can tell you on, on uh, stuff that I've worked on since Scouts Honor, it has been a, a tremendous help and a tremendous learning experience. So uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Uh, and I do want to talk a little bit about the art um, in the OZ, Ruben Ross, yeah. incredible job. But, but one last thing I'll mention about lettering, because it ties in so much uh, with what we were talking about with how how fast paced and how much story you pack in yeah. a lot of what a lot of kind of lay comic people don't realize is how much the layout of where the letter uh, with word balloons are, how many letters are in the balloon, how close the balloons are together. That affects so much of the pace of how it's read. Yes. Um, and when you're packing in a lot of story, like you do, it's important. It's so important um, yeah. because if you're putting in a lot and you don't want things to be missed, that needs to be right. How fast are we actually reading the words? It's yeah. real important. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Ruben as well on that because, you know, Ruben, that's part of the reason why I said, I always make sure that like my artists know ex like what I'm writing uh, with. And, and sometimes there's the occasional tweak to it, but by and large, they know exactly how much I'm writing and they know the general gist of what I'm trying to say. Um, and I actually number it. That's, uh, that's something I learned when I was a DC Comics intern is that you number not just your pages, not just your panels, but every line of dialogue and sound effect because uh, you know, it's for the letter's sake. So the letter knows, okay, there are 17 balloons here on this page, for example. That's my hard max for mm -hmm. a page. Um, I've only plunked down 16 artifacts. What did I miss? You know? um, and I do that for the artist's sake as well because they, when they do their thumbnails, they will it, it thumbnail in room for all the balloons. Um, and so they'll be like, okay, balloon one, balloon two, balloon five, balloon six, all the way to, you know, however many I've got. Um, so yeah, it is really, it's very much um, a collaborative process between the artist who's trying their best to sort of give the letter a room to maneuver, but they're not omniscient, you know, and they're not professional letters. So sometimes, you know, I, I'd say, uh, you know, 90% of the time, you know, the artists get it right. But then there's that 10% of the time where maybe the writer is overwritten. You know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this or maybe the page doesn't flow visually the way that the artist thought. And then that's where the letters have to get really creative to figure out, all right, how are we going to bridge this? Um, and they do it, you know, they do it day in and day out and they're, they're often unthanked. So, uh, you know, I want to thank, uh, you know, letters like uh, DC Hopkins and, uh, Carlos Miguel and Ariana Mayer and uh, Colin Bell, because uh, they've all been really terrific to work with. And uh, they've all really uh, saved my bacon and, and, and made me look good. 
Yeah, we always uh, like to call out the letters here uh, on the comic source as well, because uh, they don't get enough credit. No, uh, but let's talk a little bit about, about the art. We talked so much uh, last yeah. time about you and Ruben working together to come up with the ideas, uh, you know, for the look and feel of, of the OZ and, and the creatures. And, you know, you'd have an idea and you'd go to, to Ruben and he would even, you know, take that idea yeah. and add so much more to it uh, to make it better. Yeah, um, I imagine that's continued in the, the second issue. And, yeah. and I, as you've worked together with him, uh, have you guys developed a shorthand? Is it even a quicker process now? Yeah, we're, we, we, we've been uh, accelerating our process. Um, you know, we, you know, there's a reason why we, uh, we took a year between Kickstarters. And, you know, uh, part of it was because Scouts Honor came out in, in, in the middle and I, it got uh, what I would consider unexpected traction. You know, I, I didn't know how the book was going to be received. And uh, the fact that people really liked it, I was like, okay, I want to make sure no books are cannibalizing each other in terms of attention. Uh, and Ruben lives in Spain, which is a COVID hotspot. And so there were some COVID related uh, production delays uh, as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I, the more I work with Ruben Rojas, the more I love the man. Um, he is just an artist, artist. Um, you know, you, you, you know, think of like Dan Mora and, and, and Sean Murphy, you know, Ruben Rojas is, is, is going to be the next one. Um, just a real showstopper of an artist. And, uh, um, and yeah, the fact that I approached him uh, years ago, I saw his uh, portfolio on Twitter. Somebody, somebody was looking for comic artists and I was honestly gobsmacked that nobody had snapped up Ruben. Um, and so I, I saw his portfolio and I said, I got three ideas for you and you tell me which one you want. And uh, one of them was uh, Grand Theft Astro, my uh, upcoming book at Top Cow. Uh, the other was actually a project that's going to get an unexpected second life uh, that we'll, uh, I'll hopefully be able to talk about later this year, or early next year. And then the OZ. And I did not know at the time that Ruben's two favorite genres were uh, post-apocalyptic and low fantasy. So he was like, yes, I want the OZ. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, from the moment he drew his first cover, uh, which is the main cover for issue one with the tin soldier in it, I was like, you're hired and keep drawing. Like, I promise you come hell or high water, I will get this book made. Um, and yeah, he's just been really just, uh, just really up the ante uh, in a major way. He and colorist Whitney Kogar, uh, who are just a, a wonderful dream team together. Um, yeah, you know, Ruben, uh, he doesn't he doesn't shy away from anything, and I throw all sorts of crap at him. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, he he loves doing character designs and he loves doing setting designs. So he really is like a consummate world builder. And so this 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 series really does play to his strengths in a big way. Um, you know, and oftentimes, you know, when it comes to like the look and feel of, of a place or a character, you know, Ruben does not need much in the way of help from me. You know, I, I give him a character design. Uh, you know, I kind of, I write out like a paragraph just being like, here's kind of what I'm imagining. And uh, Ruben just turns that into to gold and very, it, it, there's very little things that I ever tweak uh, with his designs. I think, um, you know, we talked a lot about the, the, the Prince of Lions and, and, and his mask and what that represents, um, you know, and, and, and his badge of courage and what that represents. Um, I think Jack Pumpkinhead and the Scarecrow, the only changes we had was uh, Scarecrow initially had Jack's jacket and mm -hmm. Jack didn't. And I was like, you know what, let's switch that uh, because Jack is gonna be in the field a lot more than, than the Scarecrow. Um, but yeah, you know, we it's one of those things, you know, Ruben really knows his best angles uh, in, in a big way. Um, the way that he and I usually collaborate, and this is something that I, I don't think a lot of writers do. And I, I always ask my artists because I don't want to step in their toes. Whenever I write a script, I'm thinking in my head, what's the panel layout looking like? How would I fit? How, how can I stack this on a page? And I do that because I don't want to overload somebody, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, usually with Ruben, I will say, hey, look, here's a script. And I've come up with some, I've sketched out some, some panel layouts take them or leave them, you know, if you've got a better idea, have at it. But I just want you to know, like, I've thought about this, you know, like I've done the work to make sure I'm not trying to overload you. And um, yeah, Ruben, you know, now we're at a stage where, you know, he sends me his thumbnails. It's very easy to be like, yep, 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 yep. Hey, can we tweak this thing here? Like the way we're, we're sort of framing this um, or every great once in a while being like, hey, actually could we make this panel the focus of the page versus this panel? And then, um, he sends me his pencils and those, then it's even fewer things. Then it's like kind of spot details at best, you know? Um, and then, um, you know, inks, it's, it's almost nothing. I mean, thankfully Ruben does work digitally. So, you know, if there was ever a thing that we had to tweak, 
we can. But um, yeah, you know, we're, we're moving faster and faster. Um, and I think it's because Ruben knows what I like and I know what Ruben likes. And, um, and so, yeah, we're able to really play off each other in a fun way. And then I think we both get really excited when Whitney and, and, and DC Hopkins throw in their contributions to the mix. Um, I know Ruben gets very excited every time he sees the colors come in. And I think that's what kind of gives him the, the, the extra oomph to, to, to get his pages across the finish line. This is not an easy book to draw by any means. And, you know, he's living in Spain in a COVID hotspot. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of chaos, uh, you know, uh, as a result of that. Um, but I think, you know, the way that we all kind of get super excited when new pages come in from any of us, um, that's been like a really fun feedback loop. And it's one that I feel like for Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel, we were all pretty new at this. So there was a degree of like a fear that went into it. It's like, Oh God, are we doing this right? Like, like we, I think I feel good about this, but like, I, I have no idea how the public is going to receive it. And I feel like the OZ, I think we're all, we're, I, we're all a degree higher of experience now, um, especially for Whitney and DC, you know, who they, they're doing this on the regular. And so I think we've shed some of that self-consciousness. Like we, we know we can do the work. And so the pages come in and it's just immediately like endorphin rush because we're like, oh yeah, like, you know, Ruben was like knocking that out of the park. And then Whitney came in and just like really just elevated it. And oh my God, that's my dialogue on there. And it's flowing really well. Um, it's such a cool way to make a comic. And um, I, I, I feel so fortunate and grateful to be working with a team like that because um, we really do bring the best out of each other. Yeah, there's there's definitely no doubt that Whitney's colors, uh, because what Ruben does, you know, he's got to create this balance of, you know, when you think about the land of Oz, you think about this kind of fanciful place, and there are, are certainly are fanciful aspects. Like, I, I can't wait to learn more about Pumpkinhead, the the fact that Toto can can talk now, you know, yeah. learn in the first issue. There's a lot of really cool stuff, but it's got to be balanced with that kind of war comic feel. Yeah. And in order to get that right, the colors have to be right too. And so what Whitney's doing with the consistency of color to make sure that, you know, Ruben's line work conveys that balance. It's yeah, it's, it's fantastic. No, she's, she is, she is really just a, a, a just a wonderful colorist to work with. And I've been so fortunate, you know, because I, I, I haven't worked with a bad colorist, um, you know uh, you know, and, and if anything, I think I've always, made it a point to work with the right colorist for the right project, you know, um, because uh, colorists are the secret weapon. They're the most important member of your team uh, because you've probably heard, you know, art makes or breaks your comic, but mm -hmm. it's the colors that make or break the art. And so, you know, usually um, Scouts Honor sort of being the only exception. Every series that I've ever worked on, the first artist I've spoken to has never been the one that wound up being in the book. Like, you know, we, we want to make sure that they're the right colorist for this artist and that they're complementing their work. And that's not always a one for one thing. You've got very talented colorists out there, but you, you know, you compare them with the wrong artist and, and both of them look bad. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, Matt Miller in Scouts Honor is the only time that it, it worked out in the first try. And that's because it's Matt Miller who is a, a genius and yeah, that you know, the man does not miss. Um, but yeah, Whitney just, um, she's our secret weapon. Um, and honestly, I probably talk with Whitney about every scene we do, probably more than I do with Ruben, uh, to be honest. And, and uh, I, I, I think a lot of colorists don't expect it, but I, I, I'm such a snob when it comes to that. Um, and Whitney just, uh, she's never disappointed me once. Um, she is just, she is the real deal. Uh, she's gonna be the next Jordi Belair. Um, uh, you know, uh, maybe if Jordy's lucky, she'll be the next Whitney Cogar. Um, and uh, yeah, just really terrific uh, person to work with, and and just and just and just a, a wonderful collaborator to be. Yeah, the other thing about this project, and if, well, first of all, when you launched the first one, so many other creators in the industry are like, "Why didn't we think of that?" Everybody was jealous of your idea. A lot of them jumped on. A lot of them loved it. And now they're coming back and, you know, you're talking about Ruben as an artist, artist, the whole creative team on this book, you know, it, I, I feel like in a good way, there's a level of, oh man, we're a little bit jealous of what David has accomplished here because 
like every single creator I've talked to about this, all the ones I've seen online, just they're praising what you guys are doing because it is such a, just a fantastic sort of, you've caught lightning in a bottle situation. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I think it goes back to the, the hard work you guys have put in and the community you built around the first one that this, this one funded in, in less than an hour, right? Like how, how fast was it? Funded in 40 minutes. (laughs) Wow. Blew my mind. Um, You know, we're, uh, we're, let's see, we're, uh, I think at 450% funded right now, or, or uh, 427% funded uh, right now. And it just, uh, you know, blows my mind. It's so surreal. Um, and we're just so happy to have so many people coming back. And the thing is, is that we're only five days in, um, you know, we still have 25 days to pick up more and more people. And um, we're going to be announcing a, a whole new set of uh, stretch goals, both financially and in terms of new backers. Um, you know, we're going to be, uh, offering some social stretch goals like we did last time as well. Um, you know, the goal, I think the big learning curve for me in the last Kickstarter was I spent, I planned for failure and I, and I thought, you know, how do I get $6,000 in 30 days? And it's my first Kickstarter. I had Spencer and Lock and Spencer and Lock too and going to the chapel, but I had no idea if that would translate to anything. I did not once ever think that we could fund in two hours. And so I spent the rest of the campaign playing catch up. You know, I was just like, what do I do? Um, how do I, you know, how do I keep the excitement going? And how do we draw, entice new readers? And how do we add more uh, bang for the buck without screwing up our production timeframe, without screwing up our, our shipping budget? Um, and, you know, how do we do that? Meanwhile, this campaign, I've had a year to prepare for success, you know, and it's not, it's not saying, oh, you know, I, I'm expecting to, to make the numbers that we made last time, but can we fund? You know, like that just down, can we fund? And I felt very confident that, yes, I, I thought we could. And um, yeah, it's just been really heartening to see so many people come back and to see, you know, a really healthy number of new readers as well. Um, I'd say about 25% of our readers right now who have backed this, the, 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 the second OZ campaign, they're brand new. They missed us a year ago. Um, and maybe they've heard about me through, through uh, Scouts Honor or maybe they've picked up Spencer and Locke, or maybe they've just heard me, you know, talking on, on, on the podcast and interview circuit. Um, but it's really, it's nice. That's the whole point of me going to Kickstarter is it's not about the money. Um, it's about how many, how can we interact with readers directly? How can we bring the books directly to them? There's the Wednesday warriors who they'll go to their comic shop every week. And, and when we love them, they're the, they're the backbone of the industry, but there are some people who will not step foot in a comic shop. They'll, they'll buy their books exclusively at cons or they'll buy them exclusively on Amazon and Barnes and Noble or exclusively on crowdfunding. And I, it, it, it was a big light bulb that went off last year. And that was the reason I went to Kickstarter was there's a diaspora of readership. And if we want to build a sustainable industry, it's incumbent upon us as creators to try to do outreach to all these different communities and try to invite them all to the same table. Um, and that's the reason why I, I'm going to keep doing Kickstarters, you know, uh, in addition to direct market projects, because I want to keep cultivating these different pockets of readership and, uh, and hopefully, you know, sort of bring everybody back into the same fold. Well, I know how much you, you love comics and I've had other creators tell me this recently. And so I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, you know, rather than have, I don't know, let's say a hundred people pick the highest tier and get you funded that way. You'd yeah. rather have a thousand people pick the lowest here. And even if it results 100%. in less money, if the book is going to be in front of more eyes. Yes. Um, that, that is, that is 100%. I mean, look, you know, if, if, if people missed our first campaign, we have catch up tiers. Um, you know, like, like I was saying, and so you can get issues one and two uh, for $20, you know, you can get PDFs of that and boom, bam, you get 88 pages. Plus you get Spencer and lock number one. Plus you get going to the chapel number one. Plus you get our digital comic extravaganza. So that's going to be another 200 pages of uh of bonus comics uh, from a just a murderer's right of talent um and so you know that's uh just doing the, the 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 rough math there but you know that's uh almost 350 pages dollars. Mm-hmm. you know i mean that's a steal uh and so yeah we're we're you know we, we we want to bring in new readers to this and and that's why for me the dollar number is the, the least important number to me for me, it's the backer number. Right. How many people are getting in on this? And those are the people that I, I really, I want those people um, to, to, to follow us into, into new books as well. Yeah, it's 100% true. So uh, 
Thanks for joining us, David, to talk about this. We're going to talk just real quickly about a scout's honor, but before we do that, I want to remind everybody. So this is fully funded. So this is one of those situations where if you do go enjoy the campaign, you're hundred percent going to get the book. Uh, but even if it's not for you or you wish you could join the campaign, but you just don't have the means right now, the best way you can help out uh, David and Ruben and Whitney and, and DC and, and everybody that's involved is to share it on social media, because even if it's not for you or you can't uh, join the campaign right now, um, let's get it out there in front of as many people as possible. So everybody that does want to or is interested and wants to join the OZ community gets a chance to, because as I always say, there's nothing worse than discovering a Kickstarter you know, two weeks after it ended and you're like, oh man, I would have loved to have gotten my hands on that book. So best way you can help out is to, uh, to share it on social media. Uh, now scouts honor, uh, we talked about how incredibly fast paced it was. And I feel like it was, it's such a complete story, but I have had uh, a lot of people. I've noticed a lot of people have had people ask me, well, is there going to be more? Is there going to be another arc? I sort of feel like you could do something in the same world, but but that story is is yeah. done. Maybe don't mess with it. But I mean, yeah. you're you're the creator. How do you feel about it? Well, you know, so the first thing I, I always answer to people is, is, is uh, currently there are no plans for a sequel, um, and that's not that's not because of any lack of interest. Um, it's just you know we'd want to make sure that we're telling the right story. You, mm-hmm. you hit that nail right on the head. That like this was a very self complete self contained story. Um, you know, I, I was we were contracted for five issues. Uh, it's not like we were canceled or anything. It's, it's, this is, this is how the story was intended to end when I pitched it in 2019. Um, so, you know, like, like, like the, we told the story exactly as intended. Um, so there's, there, there's, there's nothing there. It was never intended to be, um, an ongoing. And I think that's in part, you know, some of it is I just didn't have the experience, um, you know, doing a, an ongoing is a real endurance test and you have to be really skilled at it. And secondly, this was a very personal book to me. Um, you know, it's, it's, for those who haven't read Scout's Honor, it's uh, it's kind of like Mad Max meets Mulan, uh, maybe with a little bit of the Hunger Games thrown in for good measure. It's about years after a nuclear war, a cult has risen from the ashes, and their Bible is an old Boy Scout manual. And generations later, we follow a young initiate named Kit, who has a, a pretty profound secret. Uh, she's had to conceal her identity as a woman in order to serve in this uh, toxic masculine society of the Ranger Scouts of America. And uh, what happens to Kit when she discovers her entire way of life was built on a lie? And um, in a lot of ways, I didn't grow up in a cult, but <laughs> uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the story was very autobiographical to me. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative upbringing uh, in Missouri in a Jewish home. And um, it wasn't until I left for college that I realized a lot of things that had been instilled in me as gospel didn't really stand up to scrutiny uh, you know, when you're living in the real world. And uh, I remember how disorienting that was, where you know you have your values, and 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 the ones that are universal are universal. But then there are things, there are elements that you were raised in that you suddenly realized were really toxic. And how do you confront that? And how do you extract that? And uh, what do you replace that with? And so you know, um, there was a lot of sort of my personal political reawakening, my spiritual journey as, as a Jewish man, uh, which is very different than that of my parents, which is very different than that of their parents. Um, down to things like, uh, you know, my, my partner was raised Catholic and she, uh, she's no longer a member of the church uh, because of the Catholic priest scandals and sort of that sense of disillusionment and grappling with all that. Um, it's, it's a lot to try to distill into a book, you know? Uh, and while you have like the fun world building and you, you know, building your own religion, especially uh, based on the iconography and the boy scouts. Um, yeah, it takes a lot out of you, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think as far as doing a, a sequel, you know, we'd have to have the right story um, and it would have to be one that wouldn't contradict anything that, we're do, that we did in the first volume. I think uh, I learned from Spencer and Locke, you know, sequels are hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, every book you're putting out, statistically, one day I will put out a book that sucks. I will put out a book that wildly misses the mark. I will put out a book that people were like, we expected better of you. Um, you know, uh, uh, hopefully just in terms of execution and not in terms of my actual morality. Um, I know that I'm rolling the dice every time I put a book out. And, and, and so I'm going out in the field, leaving it all out there to make sure that this is like a decent book. When you do sequels, it's like you're playing with loaded die. Uh, it's, a, it's not loaded in your favor. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the, the runway gets narrower and narrower 
and people have higher and higher expectations. Exactly. And the odds are very much against you. Um, you know, if it's a story that I'm that I have an idea for, Spencer and Long too, we had that idea right off the bat. And we're working on volume three because I know how I want to wrap that series. But there's a lot of homework I'm doing for that. I have to read, not just reread all of Bill Watterson's Calvin Hobbes, but I got to reread uh, Charles Schultz's Peanuts as much of that as I can fit, as well as Jim Davis's Garfield. That's that's a uh, hundred years yeah. of comics collectively. Um, I will never be able to read all of that. I just, but I will at least read as much as I can. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those things I think really hard about. You know, will I do sequels to things? You know, uh, a lot of people have already asked about the OZ. And I'm like, well, I, I want to get the first, I want to get this story done first. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, it depends on, you know, how are we feeling about it? Do we have a good idea in store? How did readers react to, to this first story? Is there a demand there? Are my art, is my art team available for this? Because like, I would never want to do more OZ without Ruben and Whitney in, in DC. And uh, I don't think Scout's Honor would be the same without Luca Castellanguida and Matt Milla and, and Carlos Manguel. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think now if you ask me, you know, if I had to choose between doing something brand new and revisiting something I've already done, I would usually lean towards doing something brand new. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's giving readers more new things to hopefully like about my catalog and, and does speak to, I think, some of my bigger ambitions, which is I want to be the Baskin Robbins of comics. I want to have 31 flavors, something for everyone. I want to play it in a whole bunch of different genres. And the only way I can do that is if I keep taking new swings. Um, but that said, you know, I, I hope to have a long career. And uh, I, I'm hoping that as I, if I have a longer career, that might mean that I will have an opportunity to revisit some of these worlds, to show, to, to, to explore more Spencer and Locke, to explore more OZ, to explore more Scouts Honor, to explore even more going to the chapel. I have an idea for that in, back, in my back pocket. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a, no plans at the moment, but I'm never going to say never. It's just got to be the right time, the right story, and uh, and the team has to be game for it. Yeah, well, and, and that's why I trust you as a creator, because you would never do, okay, Scout's Honor was successful. If we put out a sequel, we know it'll sell and I'll make money. But you'd rather have a, I mean, you want to tell a good story. The money is um, secondary. Writing, writing is not easy enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, let's do a sequel. Like, <laughs> no, no, it's hard, man. Like, I, I always say this is the hardest job I've ever had. It just happens to be the most rewarding. Right. Um, you know, like I, I've worked jobs where I can turn my brain off. I've had jobs where like I can, you know, put in, you know, 80 percent, 70 percent effort and it's acceptable. Comics. I'm not that talented yet. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I feel like anytime I'm putting down a script, I'm like, this has to be 120%. Right. Um, because I need my artists to go 120% because all of us together operating 120%, even then, because we still are building our track record that will only still draw a limited number of eyes. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not Scott Snyder. I'm not James Tynan. I'm not Donnie Cates. I'm not any of the, the, the Substack crew who literally by virtue of going to Substack is a testament to their readership and their base and, and, and their track record as creators. I don't have that track record yet. And so um, as a result, I feel like I got to pick my projects really carefully. And sometimes, sometimes things get chosen for me. You know, I mean, in an ideal world, Grand Theft Astro would have already been out. Um, you know, it's already written. We're just kind of getting our ducks in a row for the art. Um, it would have been out well before Scout's Honor, but, um, you know, it is, you control what you can. And in this case, it is, you know, when do you wrap up a series? And for me, I would much, I would always, always, always rather wrap it up too soon. And people say, oh man, I'd love to see more than the other way around. And people be like, boy, you really dragged that out, huh? Yeah. Uh, we didn't, we didn't need five arcs of Scout's Honor. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, these are hard enough that, uh, you know, I want to make sure if I'm, if I'm killing myself to write it, that uh, people actually want it. Yeah. Well, the, the worst is when, you know, you take something a little too far and it ends and nobody even notices because nobody was reading it in the first place. They'd already yeah. jumped off. Yeah. So it's gotta be, it's gotta, it's gotta be the exact right story. Um, and, and, uh, so, yeah, you know, and it's an ongoing process and, uh, you know, who knows, my, my tune may change in a few years, but um, for now, um, it's, it, there's only one direction to go and that's forward. Yeah, with, uh, with Scout's Honor being such a personal story and then with the success it had, was that sort of cathartic for you? 
you know, being that it was, it was so surprising. Personal. I, you know, um, I always have a degree of trepidation um, before something gets announced um, and something and something drops. I think this the OZ this new Kickstarter is probably the least trepidation I've had for a series. Um, you know, just because I was like, I know we had a certain number of people like looking at this, you know, pre pre launch mm-hmm. sign. Um, Scouts Honor, I was terrified. You know, I was terrified because I was kind of like, well, you know, first off, are people going to get what we're doing? You know, or, or are they going to totally miss the point and, and think that I'm doing some like pro fascist regime thing, which no. Um, and secondly, you know, it was one of those things that like we we wanted to be as compassionate as we could be for the stories of, of Kit and for Des, for that matter. And we wanted to make sure that like, you know, we handled them as with as much empathy and dignity and respect as as, as, as we could. But, you know, you never know how people are going to react, you know, especially, you know, Kit's story. I think there are definitely parallels to the trans experience. I mean, you know, she, 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 she found her chest um, and, you know, Des being sort of the, the closeted son of the cult leader, you know, when it's not your lived experience, you know, you kind of, of course, are like, you know, you're going out on the limb and you hope that by treating these characters with respect and dignity and empathy, your readers will feel that they're treated the same way. And thankfully, that's that's how they felt. Conversely, you know, it's also this is a little bit of direct market counter programming. You know, I mean, it is not like the meat and potatoes, you know, dude led, you know, uh, action packed stuff that you know the direct market loves. You know, this is a this is a female led book about uh, you know cults and religion that happens to have post apocalyptic Boy Scouts involved. You know, and so I was kind of like, you know, is there going to be a market? Is there going to be an audience for this? Um, you know. And so with all that in mind, you know, I was just kind of like, well, Aftershock trusted in the project. And I feel like I wrote as best as I could with it. You know, I feel like I, I left it all out in the field. You just kind of got to hold your breath and be like, well, I hope, I hope people hope like it. it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nobody, honestly, nobody was more surprised than me to see the response that it got. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, that is Luca Castlinguida and, and Matt Miller and, and, and Carlos Manguel. But I also, I think it's our editors, uh, Mike Martz, and especially Christina Harrington. Um, I, I've been told that uh, when, you know, Aftershock does their, 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 their pitch meetings, they're at, you know, they, 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 they talk about quickly, like, hey, what's, you know, what do we have from everybody? Um, and all these creators are pitching them, and I'm sure only a certain percentage gets through to that stage. And from what I've been told, Christina is like the, is like the real, like, swing vote over there. Uh, people look to her to be like, what do you think? And apparently Scout's Honor, she looked at it and, and, and they, they, she just like, just nodding. Um, and she really championed that book in a big way. She was our day-to-day editor on the series um, and uh, just a real champion for, for the book and, and for me. And so I'll, I'll always be grateful to Christina for that. And um, honestly, Aftershock and, and Christina in particular, they had faith in this book before I did. Um, you know, this, I've said this in, in other interviews, this was, it was a different kind of pitch process for this book. You know, I, I had pitched many ideas. I pitched them, I think 12 log lines at the time and Scout's Honor was the one I had come up with like a week and a half prior. <laughs> um, you know, uh, all the twists about Kit being a woman uh, and all that, that had, that wasn't even part of the log line, uh, you know, at first. And uh, they were like, yeah, that Boy Scout cult thing. That's interesting. Like, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into that. And I remember my blood like running cold and I was like, oh crap, I've done no homework in this. <laughs> and then thinking like, well, oh man, they picked this one. Like this is going to be a big mistake because you know, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the all dude book in 2020, or at least that's when I thought it was going to come out. Uh, that's not going to fly. And that's when it hit me like, no, that is super weird. Like let's lean into that. Let's see what this weird society would look like from a woman's perspective. Yeah. They really do have a great crew over there. I mean, we talk about just about every book they put out because they're all, fantastic and they're they're different you know they're they the whole the whole publishing line that they put out really leans into the idea right now that comics can tell any story yes um and yeah they, they've got a lot of great creators involved and uh, a lot of great books um so I, I i feel very honored uh to 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 be part of that crew yeah fantastic well david thanks for taking the time to join us today uh, a reminder everybody there's a link in the show notes to go join the campaign for the oz number two uh and then i i you know, there is that tier uh, that David's offering where, he, uh, you know, and, and you can just listen to this chat that we've had today and him talking about, you know, his process and what works for him. 
Um, so there is that tier that I want to specifically mention where if you're looking to break in, if you're looking for advice, you're looking for some critique on your, uh, on your pitches or on your scripts, that sort of thing. I, I think that's, uh, you know, a great thing. David's, David is obviously putting the, the time and he's only getting better. So, uh, you know, you uh, set the agenda and I'll talk about anything you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, there's that I highly recommend, uh, grabbing that tier if you're looking to break in. Uh, but the other thing is he'll, he'll give you little snippets for free if you follow him online uh, yeah. as well. He loves to engage. So where's the best place on social media to uh, reach out, David? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at PeposD or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. You can also subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash pepnews. I send it out every three weeks to let my family know I'm still alive. Uh, or you can visit my website at davidpepos.com. And uh, again, everybody, I'll put links to the show notes on the website in uh, in the show notes. So if you're having trouble finding it, you can go and click there. So David, congratulations on getting funded so quickly. Uh, I can't wait for uh, for issue two and then the subsequent issue three to uh, to wrap up the story. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Thank you. And to all you listeners, we want to thank you for joining us as always. We really appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.